Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. So today I wanted to take another stab at understanding who Charlie Jarvis is. If you're not familiar with her, I've done a couple podcasts on the topic. It's one that's been really interesting for me and as well for my listeners. So I wanted to take a deeper look at her childhood, um, some similarities between um, other cases that are going on currently with as it relates to kind of this startup fraud phenomenon, if you will. And I wanted to get into a little bit about her childhood as well as go into the serious nature of what she's facing. So let's get into it. So in order to really understand Charlie Javis, I think it's really important to get a feel for her parents, her childhood, and where she grew up. Whenever I did a deep dive to really understand it, I wanted to get a little bit more context potentially of where her ideology was shaped by the world, her identity, and where potentially she formed perceptions you know it's so interesting is whenever we think about our parents our parents are really the most responsible for shaping our um, outcome on the world the way we hate it the way we love it the way we have relations with it because they are our first people who kind of identify and teach us about it and Charlie Javis is no exception however she was born in one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Winchester County in New York Um, She attended a private French school, and her childhood was a lot different probably than most. We think that her father, whose name is Dibber Yavis, um, I wish I could read better, but what's interesting about him is he has had a long career. We look at Mr. Yavis, and we understand that he had a background in finance, and not just any background. He was working on Wall Street. He had a you know he had his master's degree um, within the management of the EEC business school in France and experienced in business development, some, you know, systematic hedge funding, buying and selling capital and risk management. He worked for companies like Goldman Sachs, Lynch, Graham Capital, and he is currently doing business development for London-based investment consulting firm. 1859 cloud now when you read that off and you understand mr yarvis's career i can honestly say it's really impressive and it is really really unique i mean how many people can you say have done all of that and you know financially you know he's in a whole different earning bracket and as a result of that you know his daughter would have seen her, Charlie Javis, seen this money, been a part of this affluence, and probably had a different shape of the world than maybe I, who had more of a blue-collar concept of understanding it based on the fact of what my parents went through. And I really think whenever you experience different things morally, you might have a different connection to outcomes. Obviously, there was a level of living, money, experience, and funding that Charlie was used to. And this level is really, really high. Um, you know, if you probably, you can't even fathom his net worth. I mean, you know, hundreds of millions if he's doing it for 35 years, 
working investment and hedge funding. This is probably where Charlie got a lot of her learning from it, probably listening. You know, their parents were divorced. Um, but what you have to understand is Charlie Jarvis is really well polished. Whenever you hear her talk, she knows all the buzzwords. She knows what she's saying. And what's really interesting in the correlation I draw between her father and her is she knew about seed funding in college. When she was going to the University of Pennsylvania, I found a video of her no more than 20 or 30 seconds long talking about investing in seed funding. Before I even knew what it was, she was in college giving under, like giving the overview of it. And she was a part of two startups, all right? One of them with her brother when she was 18 and 19 called Pau VOV, and I've talked about that before. And she used this kind of as a way to gain a lot of insight and momentum into this world. Now, I have experience working in the Seafund world on a previous job, and what it gave me the understanding is there's a lot of money and there's a lot of people who are looking to invest in ideas. And they might, you might come with an idea and someone's like, here's $4 million, and then you know the seed funding and the angel investment funds, then you have to create the concept or design whatever it is. She knew that at a very young age. Although like I looked and did the research trying to find it again, I've been having trouble because... I mean, this case is blowing up, so once you do research on her, then all of a sudden, like, there's tons of stuff that pops up again. But the point I'm trying to make, though, is at a very young age, she had a really good understanding of financial structures. That's probably why she was able to negotiate and leverage so much whenever she was talking to J.P. Morgan during the acquisition um, cycle timeline. But what's really interesting about her, though, is you get this kind of feeling that she grew up really wealthy. She's really well polished. I've listened to a lot of her interviews and, you know, she was working in soup kitchens as a young, as a youngin. Her family would go out to Thanksgiving and that's kind of where she would spend it. She'd spend it in um, working and serving in soup kitchens. She would go to Malaysia, teach there, Thailand. She did have kind of like this service mindset, service mentality. And I think the service aspect really came from her mother. So what's interesting about Javis's mother is her name was Natalie and she was a former teacher who taught at the French American School in New York for five years from 1990 to 2004. She also has her master's degree in education from the University of New York or New York University and a certified alcohol and substance abuse worker, you know, with um, children, adults, and she counsels to the open door addiction recovery clinic and in 2009 she was a part of the four win hospital and natalie is a she's jewish and her parents um did survive the holocaust so that in itself is a really interesting point so listening to her speak i think it's like you have the financial component of the business line the business thinking from her father you have this kind of wanting to serve the community coming from her mother and it kind of correlated into this whole frank FASA student loan situation, which she was a part of. Now, what's really interesting and kind of what I'm learning about Frank now, and maybe I talked about a real original episode, but as I revisited, Frank was a system that was set up with no money. Like you, you had no funding. If you were a college student wanting to create a FASA account, you know, 
the concept works. She helped 300,000 people. We do know that with this system, which is successful by any means. But there was no payment structure set in place. She wanted to do it out of, I think, the kindness of her heart. I don't know. You know, when I look at the research and I understand what it was, it was kind of set up like TurboTax, but you have to pay TurboTax based on your returns. And you can upgrade depending on what the cap what the capabilities are. So the proof of concept was not here yet. And although it helped people, you know, if you have 16 million to 20 million in seed funding, which she originally collected, you have people who want the profit to be turned. So if I'm speculating, you know, we look at her early childhood, we look at how you know, her parents potentially influenced her life, how her mother influenced her life. You have the father coming in as looks like the very savvy investment banker, Goldman Sachs, and the mother who kind of is wanting to serve the community. It culminates in this situation. Now, what takes flight? Well, it's almost like she got to a point where she realized that the proof of concept wasn't there. But if you listen to all of her podcast interviews and if you predate google to see what happened before she was even being potentially accused of creating fake email accounts what you find is that she was working really really hard to spread the message tons of articles tons of news feeds talking about fasa now what's really interesting is if you look at the way she brought up you never really get the fact that she had to worry about financial aid and it's almost like this affluent mentality probably protected her from the real scariness of not having enough money to get through, to get by, and not really understand what it's like to struggle. You know, you look at her education, you look at everything she's been able to do at this point, and she never really struggled before. You know, I'm sure she's had struggles, but not in the sense of not knowing where her next meal's coming from not knowing what her next paycheck's going to be, not knowing how she's going to pay for university. She never struggled with that. And I think in a lot of ways, that struggle teaches you um, a lot of boundaries and you understand a lot of different concepts. And I didn't think she get it. And when I apply that lens into Sam Bankman Freed, who in a lot of ways has a very similar upbringing as her, her parents were Stanford Law graduates, okay? So, meaning they grew up with a lot of money, you know, affluent, you know, these, these, these white-collar jobs where people, they're not normal. I mean, to say your parents were Stanford lawyers in itself creates a whole connotation with that. And he, too, had this mentality of being an altruistic giver, always giving his money away, wanting to have a helping mission. They both have a helping mission at the same time of defrauding millions of dollars. So where does this disconnect happen of why they were wanting to do it? The same thing is evident in Elizabeth Holmes, the, the director and the starter of Thanos, which was the blood company that investors defrauded you know, millions, and she came up with defraud. Well, what's interesting about that is you know, she was given 11 years, and her sentence will start this year, April 20, 2027. Her father was a consultant for water and had another white-collar job, all right? And you had this other aspect of giving, wanting to give, but at the same time taking millions and millions of dollars. It's like the perfect pitch. I want to help you, but at the same time, I need $20 million in order to do that. And I think what happened with all of these um, 
startups and businesses is on paper in person. They had all the credentials, the Ivy League schools, you know, the understanding of financing. But I think it probably gave them the talk to talk, but they didn't have that walk to walk. You know, they didn't know how to really take that information and culminate it and do it the rest. I mean, Charlie Javis is lying on file. Like they have her before, before a lot of these situations asking for the emails and she's saying them in private. I've looked through a lot of the affidavit and information. You know, she's being tried with a lot of stuff. And if she's found guilty, she can be put away for a hundred years for the fraud, wiretap, tampering with information. She was tampering with the deck. She was paying off for emails. She knew what she was doing. So was she in over her head or did she not think she was going to get caught? Now, I honestly think because she was surrounded by so much money, like these three others who were on the Forbes prison line, you know, pipeline for investing is they all have that similarity of they quote unquote want to help people and they quote unquote want to create a new technology to change the world and they quote unquote want they want to be a part of something bigger and better than themselves and they're all coming from this lifestyle that is in itself, you know, affluent millions of dollars, even as a childhood and parents being a part of these white um, collar lifestyle. Now, here's what I think probably what happened. Charlie Jarvis put in a lot of work and a lot of effort and determined that her proof of concept wasn't there. She was struggling with it because 300,000 emails is a lot, but you know, they're trying to give it away at this point. And probably what she realized based on her background, her knowledge of acquisition is Frank was always being created to be sold. Okay. She was trying to sell it and get to a point to where she could be financially comfortable. I mean, I did one set of research on her and her net worth is already at $250 million. So she leveraged a lot of different things and she probably gave the money to her dad and her dad invested it $4 million in trust. I'm sure her father has played a part in this financial uh, gotten gain or whatever you want to say. So I think probably what happened is she had the pressure. The wall started closing in. She realized that everything she was working for wasn't working. It wasn't turning a profit. And no matter what you do, if you don't have a business model that works, it's going to collapse and fold. So what did she do? She did what she knew she had to do. She probably understood that on some line, on some understanding, J.P. Morgan Chase wanted to do research into better understanding, um, was doing research probably on understanding financial aid needs for low-income families, and they wanted those emails to start generating a research lead or a feed to understand the processing of it. Now, that who knows why that was? Frank in itself did not turn a profit. J.P. Morgan Chase was doing a lot of acquisitions and at one point and just buying up a lot of stuff. So it seems like that was the situation and she got caught with her hand in the cookie jar. So when I do that analysis of her, this is really where I'm sitting at with probably what happened with Charlie Javis. And if you guys want more content, let me know. I know you've enjoyed the podcast thus far. Thank you for listening. We'll get back to you tomorrow.